So oddly enough, this morning, I woke up early, tried to get everything I needed to get done and situated. I set up my computer along with my Bible, and somehow I walked out the house without my Bible. But thank God for technology, Um, because I do have Lagos right here, and I am not without. So uh, my name is Philip Ford. I've met some of you maybe once in life when I was here with, um, when Virgil was preaching with who is my now wife, um, Lillian. Emily is here and Arabella. They're not in the room at this current moment, so I'm introducing seats at the moment. Um, So yeah, um, I am just thankful to be here at City of Hope to present the word of God. I am uh, probably a Baptist doctrinally, um, and I'm probably more rooted in some of those Pentecostal um, liveliness. So you might see me, you might hear me, it's just passion, Um, kiddos. I'm not yelling at anybody. Um, I'm just passionate about the Word of God. Um, I'm grateful to be here uh, with my Presbyterian brothers and sisters because it is the gospel that glues us all together. Um, It is the truth of who Jesus Christ is, his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, And the only thing that should divide us is if those um, doctrinal truths that are pivotal to salvation are altered, is that if they're not, um, there's no alterations, if there is no clarity, then I think that there is divide. But if there is divide, clarity on what the gospel is, that there's clarity on who Jesus is, um, that he is God in the flesh, that he came to to take on the sins of humanity because we could not. He paid the price that we could not pay. If those things are what we all agree upon, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The title does not matter. And so over the last couple weeks, um, I have been in a bit of a, a weird phase of life, I'm a PhD student. We have a three-month-old child. I'm another nine-year-old. We just bought a house. Um, we have a puppy, too. Um, so you can just kind of see that it's just a lot of chaos going on in my home. Um, and by God's grace, we have been able to sustain and to keep going forward. Um, and I've been thinking about what to preach. And God stopped me one day and said, hey, You're asking me what to preach. However, you yourself haven't been spending any intimate time with me. You've been so busy with the cares of life, trying to love your family, trying to provide for your family, but you have not been connecting with me. And so that is what I'm preaching about today, intimacy. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, to see what God is saying. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your love. As the word says, a steadfast and loyal love. We ask, God, that you um, extend your grace and your mercy to allow our ears and our hearts to be filled with your word, filled with your truth, filled with the life in which only you can give us. Lord, we thank you, Father, that when we were once dead, when we were once lost, you allowed us to become alive in you, Lord. Um, When we turned from death to life, you were there with arms wide open um, as the prodigal son when he 
came to himself and ran back home, Lord. Your love remains the same. So Jesus, help me. Help me because I am just a broken person who have been saved by grace. Um, I am just a, a, a mouthpiece, God. I'm just a vessel, um, an instrument of, of yours, an instrument of righteousness, uh, an, an instrument, Lord, um, that desires to be used. I am the clay. You are the potter, Jesus. And give your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. So we, we, we constantly in, in, in the Christian faith, spiritual growth is um, at the top of the, the sermon list for most pastors, most preachers of the gospel. It is spiritual growth. When we are in the church, we always talk about um, going from spiritual milk to solid food, and we come up with a lot of analogies from that. We talk about how uh, Arabella, my baby, she's eating spiritual milk or, or, or physical milk right now, um, and then one day she'll be able to to munch down on some steak, and those are kind of the analogies that we get all the time. It's somewhere around food. We all love food. That's the one thing that society can agree upon is food and music. Music and food, and I just learned that beer is another one throughout history. It's weird, and I read this book for school, and it's just weird how beer has been able to bring people together. It's weird, but those three things typically bring people together um, and so we use them all the time and in sermons. Um, and so I think that spiritual growth and maturation is, is pivotal to the Christian walk. We pray, we fast, we preach, we teach the Bible. Um, you go to certain churches, um, you know, you might see somebody running around in, in a sprint. You know, I'm not for that, but hey, it happens. And so we, we are always trying to move forward with the Lord in a way in which I think sometimes we miss. We miss what that looks like. We take communion. Um, we are happy about converts and people who express faith in Christ. And that's why we, when we have this Billy Graham model of it, when you just give this, um, say this prayer, the sin is prayer, you know, you have thousands of people standing and coming to the altar who typically come to the altar the next week. It might come back the week after that. Something is, is, is missing. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. I got baptized when I was a child. And, well, I went down a devil and came up a wet one. Because I did not know the truth of the gospel, I did not have authentic intimacy with the Lord. And we seldom talk about intimacy with the Lord. We talk about intimacy in marriage and, and relationships and different things of that nature. And, and so a single person might be in the room and they're like, well, can I experience true intimacy because I'm not married? And, and, and we say intimacy with God, but we don't clearly define what that looks like. We don't dig, dive in and, and just explore the depths of what that looks like. Millennials. And Gen Z are leaving the church at alarming rates. Some of the children here can grow up and, and, and try to leave the faith if they have not learned what true intimacy is with the Lord. And it's something that a child, a young person can grasp. 
Because I talk to my daughter sometimes, and there's this boldness with children that I don't think we recognize often. My daughter would talk about how somebody said God isn't real, and she said, uh-uh, God is real. If you look at the sun and the moons, God is real. Who made those then? She stands on the faith, and there's this level of intimacy that I think that God wants us to explore that is childlike. And it's okay to be an adult and have childlike tendencies. Because Jesus himself said, do not forsake the little ones from coming near to me. Let them come near to me. Jesus grabs a child, sits him right here, and then gives this sermon and says, any one of you that leads this young person astray, well, you know the rest is pretty, pretty bad. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 63. David writes Psalm 63 as he flees from Saul, remaining in the stronghold of the wilderness as Saul seeks him daily. Yahweh preserves David because he would be king and nothing would stop God's plan. Or another possible situation could be David as king running from his son Absalom. One thing we can agree upon is that David was on the run often after his sin with Bathsheba. Things tended to go downhill for David in a physical sense. But with that physical sense, God expanded in his grace and his mercy because David understood and knew authentic intimacy with a loving father. And so despite what David was going through, I believe Psalm 63 gives us a great insight or what it looks like to have authentic intimacy with the Lord. Because I think that when we are, when we have this intimacy, intimate relationship with the Lord, well, our spiritual growth and what that looks like, it grows. When we are intimate with the Lord, well, we're not divided about who's Presbyterian, who's Baptist, who's Reformed, this, who's that, who's that. Doctrine is, is great. We need to have sound doctrine, but that should be the most important thing. Not the title behind I am Presbyterian. I am whatever it may be. And I'm not saying that because I'm here. I'm just saying that anywhere I go, I see there's a lot of division here. And I think that that is a problem because intimacy with the Lord, you're not going to see. Jesus looks at each one of us and sees us as his children. He don't care about what we call ourselves. We care. And it's okay. When the Lord looks at us, he sees his child. He sees a loving child. So furthermore, let's, let's dig in. Um, um, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, it says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. First thing I want you to recognize is this Yahweh's presence is fulfilling. Who God is, is fulfilling. We must define who God is. His covenantal name is Yahweh. 
You see things like Elohim and Adonai up until Exodus when, when Moses is out in the wilderness and he looks over, he sees this bush that is burning but not burning at the same time. This paradox is happening right now. Moses has no clue what's happening. And then this bush starts to talk. How many people are walking up to a bush that is talking? In today's society, that will be grounds for mental institution. But, but Moses is like, you, you talking to me? The bush is like, yeah, I'm talking to you. Take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Think about that for a moment, right? And then he gives his name. He says, I am who I am. So we must understand this, that he is, he was, and he will always be. That is what the name of Yahweh means. He is pre-existing, self-sufficient, and self-sustaining. Say that again. His name means that he is pre-existing. He is self-sustaining. He is all-sufficient in and of himself. He, he is all three of these things, and the list could actually go on. But I think that it will be a whole nother sermon just to talk about that. And I don't even have enough time. The world doesn't have enough time, honestly, to really get down to the root of that. So I think that that's one of the first things that we recognize is when, when David is here, he's saying, God, you are my God. He is literally saying, this is who you are. You are the pre-existing, the self-sustaining, and the all-sufficient one. You are the person who I am seeking as my soul is thirsty. How many of you have been thirsty before? Thirsty typically triumphs over hunger. When you are thirsty, you begin to feel slow. You, you, you begin to feel just not good in, in, on the inside. And how many of you had that good glass of water after? You've been thirsty. You might have been at the amusement park or, or out at the farm, and you were having fun on that hayride, and you realized, oh, man, I am thirsty. And you don't know what's going on inside of you. She's looking because she heard that hayride. Yeah, you might have been there. You might have been thirsty. And then you get off that hayride. You get that first drink. And then something happens on the inside. It's weird when you drink some water and you're thirsty. So everything seems like everything just wakes up inside of you. It's like, what is happening? And so he's saying he, his soul is thirsty as if he were in a dry and weary land, in a desert deserted area of space where he is thirsty and his soul is desiring Yahweh in this way. So he says, I will seek you. That word is to say, I will try to get or reach something he desires. If we are in this place like him, if we are thirsty, we're going to do everything possibly to get something to drink. Everything possible. Even if we're hungry, the first thing that we're going to try to quench is our thirst. If we look throughout the scriptures, we see a constant theme of water satisfying. That's why when he goes and he says he is yearning, it means that he is having this desire for something or someone who is not present. When we are yearning for something, we go out there, we see this constant theme. We see Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, is what he says to the woman at the well. She's coming to, to quench her physical need at one of the hottest points of the day. And as she's talking to Jesus, she forgets her thirst. Because once she hears this statement, 
but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. She drops her bucket. She leaves it there. She goes into Samaria and begins to say, come and meet this man who told me everything that I once did. And then Jesus stays in that area for a longer period of time because what was inside of her was then met. Because Jesus, he can meet those physical needs. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. John 7, 37, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life, is what Revelation says. So we see this constant theme of a thirst being satisfied from Isaiah 55, all the way from Genesis, when they were in the wilderness, and uh, God tells Moses to hit the rock and water's going to come out, all the way to Revelation, right here, he says, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, whoever wishes, to take the free gift of the water of life. So that's the first thing we must think about. It says that I've looked in the sanctuary to behold your power and your glory because you're steadfast. And that word also can be translated as your loyal love. Your loyal love is better than life. Say because of this Lord you love that's better than life. He says, I will praise you. I will lift up my hands. I will worship you. And that's the posture of life that I choose to live my life in. Because all throughout scripture, when, when it was worship, the most, the, the people who had the most intimate relationship with people, like Moses, like Abraham, think about it. They all knew who Yahweh was. They had close encounters with God. Think about when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. He came down glowing. Like he's radiating because he was in the presence of a living, loving God. So that's the first thing. Yahweh's presence is fulfilling. Second thing, Yahweh's loyal love is worth reflection. How often do we stop and reflect on how good God is outside of Sunday? When you look throughout the theme of the scripture, how often do you see God tell his people to remember? Every time he's talking to a prophet, he says, I am the God of Abraham Isaac. I am the God who, who delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. He says, I am the God who did and goes on through this list every single time because the Israelites were always in this constant cycle of, okay, God, I want to be repentant. I want to be with you. Ooh, look at that. Let's go ahead and, and worship these idols for a little while. And they spend that time turning away, forgetting about all that Yahweh has done for them. And then there comes this consequence. And then with the consequence comes this cycle back to Yahweh because they then remember, because Yahweh says, remember what I did for you. When they got freed from Egypt, the first thing they did was say, God, did you really bring us to this ocean? We, we just seen you do 10 miraculous plagues. Three could only be mimicked on a low scale. After the fourth one with the, the, uh, the fleas, I think it was like, yo, he said, this is the finger of God. The, magic, the, the magician said that. They get to this ocean, this reed sea, and they get to complain and forget what God could do. He splits the sea. They walk through on dry land. Then they get to the other side. They say, did you bring us out here to be hungry? 
hungry. And so his loyal love, and this is what it says in the scriptures, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Think about this. Remember, remember, David is fleeing. It's either Saul or Absalom, but either one, both of them were trying to kill him. So he's hiding. But in the midst of his turmoil, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his uncertainty, he's laying there reflecting on God and all that Yahweh has done for him. And he says that you have been my help. So when the car breaks down, man, God, you have been my help. When the money seems to look funny, God, you have been my help. When you, husband, are, are coming home after a long day of work, and that one statement comes out your wife's mouth, and you, you it's not even, it, it's a loving statement, but you just are tired and drained, and you just don't feel like it. You got to remember how God has loved you in those moments. Grace. We need grace, brother, because I get like that too. I'm not talking to you, I'm, I'm talking to myself here. But he says that I'm remembering you, I'm meditating on the watches of the night, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Think about this. The scripture typically talks about an eagle. Eagle. Do you know an eagle? An eagle actually sits about this high. An eagle is like, as long as its body is, its wings are even longer. If I'm not mistaken, one wing is like the size of me. It's six foot. That's six feet on both sides. So the eagle, when it spreads its wings, or when it flies over you, there's this glimpse of just shade and color when it comes over you. So he says, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. We sung that song, uh, Marvelous Savior. But when we're going through it, or when we're just laying in the watches of the night, those times when we should be asleep, but we just can't sleep. How often are we taking those moments to meditate on the goodness of God? How often are we going back to the songs that we sung the previous Sunday and just reflecting on the words? We need to make these a constant practice. Because again, we can talk about spiritual growth, but these things help initiate intimacy with the God, the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence. We have images, we have pictures, we have, we have movies now of all that God has done. We are without excuse for real. Now, Paul might have said it in Romans, but now we are like without excuse. I'll just throw that out there. Side note. There's this great thing, it's called uh, The Chosen. Watch it. Um, it would just read and light, just open up your eyes to the Lord. And so anyways, back to it. That was a, um, to meditate, to, to reflect deeply on a subject on, or a thing. The world, this new age spiritual movement is, is moving people into meditation. 
And sometimes I think that what happens is Christians, because uh, we think Buddhists and Hinduism, and we're like, oh, yeah, we can't meditate. But it's like, no, well, we should be meditating. We should just not be doing it as they practice. We should be reflecting deeply on all that God has done for us. And when we pursue him, we should open our hearts to whatever he is allowed in our paths. A closer translation um, to this passage would, would be my soul kept close after you. This inner being, he's talking about his inner being. Inner being is thirsting. His inner self is keeping close to Yahweh. It's not just that physical. It's the spiritual. It's the soul. It's every fabric of a person's life. Lastly, Yahweh's victory is complete. Verses 9 and finishing now. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. The constant theme here is reflecting on God and praising God for all that he has done despite everything that's going on. He is being pursued, and based off his reflection of God, he sees how victory has always been upon his hands. Now, if you don't know David's track record, the Bible says that David was a man of war. That's why he couldn't build the temple. Even though he wanted to, he said, no, your son will, because there was a lot of blood on David's hands. People knew who David was. When David stepped on the scene, David was about to get some victory, starting with Goliath. Everybody was afraid. Says that Goliath and the, and the Palestinians, they were just taunting and talking about God for a few days, and David was just sitting there, the smallest one out the bunch, couldn't even fit the armor. It's like, man, y'all going to let this happen? And he said, nah, not my God. Give me a sling, give me a pebble. Slings it, bang, right in the middle of the eye. So David knew victory. And it would have been easy for David to, to if he's running from Saul, it would have been easy to say, man, God, you said I was going to be king, but looks like I'm about to perish. Or I'm king, and is this the end, my own son, God? Because Absalom, if you know a little bit about that, it's like he turned, the, he turned most, a, a lot of the region against David. So he's like, man, is this, is where, this where it ends? But then he was, he's reflecting. And he's like, man, God, if you are for me, then who can be against me? Says the mouths of liars will be stopped. Today's context. If you are a Christian, it doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist. It doesn't matter if you are um, um, Pentecostal. It doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian. It doesn't matter if you are Church of God and Christ. It doesn't matter any of those things. We can all say things about them, and it's, it's okay. But it doesn't matter because if you are a Christian, when the world looks at you, they see an enemy. They see an enemy. You can be as loving as possible. But if you stand on the scripture and you call people out of their sin, 
Because that's another thing. It is our sin that keeps us from true, authentic intimacy with the Lord. And sometimes it's not the subtle things that we like to look at. It's those things, it's, it's, it's love, it's, for me, it's loving my wife sometimes when I'm tired. For me, it's, it's, it's walking in gentleness. For you, it could be something completely different. But it's some of those things that keeps us from intimacy with the Lord. And as we reflect on these things, we have to go back to the gospel. We have to go back to the fact that the mouths of liars will be stopped. We have to recognize that all who swear by him, Yahweh, will be exalted. Because it says that in Christ Jesus, the sting of death will no longer prevail. We don't have to fear death. We got it easy here in America because the persecution that we face is possibly losing our jobs, possibly losing our lives because we stand on the Bible and somebody doesn't like it. There are other places across the world where that is not the same. They will lose their lives for even having this much of the Bible. If it says scripture on it, or if it's reflecting and saying, oh man, this person is a Christian, they can lose their lives, them and their entire families. We have to go back to the gospel. If we want to examine our hearts and see, man, what does intimacy look like? Where Isaiah 55 says, come all who thirst, come buy and drink. This passage reflects the same thing. He says, your love is better than life. Your love will fully satisfy. Try Jesus. He, will, he can give you everything you desire on the inside and the outside. So a few applications and then I'll be out your hair. The first one is this. Encounter Yahweh in the present. Jesus is worth pursuing. He is the only fountain that will satisfy. A common thing with anybody who is outside of Christ is that there is something missing. Everybody on this planet recognizes that there is something missing. The enemy has taken that and perverted it in a bunch of different ways. To the fact that the, the, the common theme of, of many people in this world who are not believers is do whatever makes you happy. The sad thing about that is that if you talk to a Satanist, the only rule that they have is to do whatever pleases them. You talk to an atheist, it's the same thing. But an atheist wouldn't say that they're a Satanist, but their doctrine is the same. So encounter Yahweh in the present right here. Second thing, remember what Yahweh has done in the past. Think about your life. Think about what God has brought you through. Think about the scripture, what God has brought his people through. And as you think about those things, there is nothing in life that can pull you away from the love of Christ. You then begin to recognize Romans 8 and say, man, there's nothing. There's not heights nor depths. There is not angel nor demon. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And that is what the gospel did. That is what happened when Jesus rose again on the third day. That is what happened after the 40 days he was just entering and mingling around with his people and his disciples and stuff like that. When he's gone and he sends, uh, ascended back into glory, that is what's happening. He is 
showing us that there's nothing that's going to be able to separate us because I got up out the grave and here is the proof. Last thing, reflect on what God um, is promising for the future. City of Hope is the name of the church. Excellent name. Because we have a living hope. We have a hope that says that there will be a day where there will be no tears, no crying, there will be no falling down and getting a boo-boo, there will be no any, there, any destruction or, or sinful thing that we can think about. Sin will be completely done away with. Every ounce of it. Even the hidden wickedness that goes on inside of our hearts. Because though I don't believe that we have a sin nature, I do believe that the residue of sin still affects us. I don't believe that anybody in this room is sinless. By God's grace, we can just sin a little bit less every single day. So think about those things. Think about those three, those three uh, application points. Um, encounter God in the present. Remember what Yahweh has done in the past. And reflect on God's promises for the future. Because if, if we remember, Yahweh, his name means that he is pre-existing. Past, he is self-sustaining. His present is all-sufficient. Future, he exists outside of time, so he can exist in the past, future, and present all at the same time. It's a weird paradox, but we are all existing in that time too. It's always the past. It's always the future. It's always the present. God does it perfectly. And we can reflect on those things. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you, Father, that we are able to just have an intimate relationship with you. The, the one relationship in this world that will always satisfy is with you. By your grace, God, you have given um, uh, us marriage to encounter intimacy with a, uh, another person, but you have also allowed us to, to build friendships of true, authentic intimacy. So, Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, every knee will bow down, every tongue will confess that you, Jesus, are Lord, and because of that confession, Lord, we can build an intimate relationship with one another from different backgrounds, from different regions of the world, different ethnicities. Lord, we can all be intimate in you because we are intimate with you, Jesus. So help us. Search our hearts, Lord, and if there's any wickedness that's inside of us, Lord, we ask that you call it to the front. Bring it to the light so that we can sit it at your altar, God, so that we can sit at your feet and just dwell in your presence. Better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. So, Lord, let us go home and let us reflect on how we can grow in our intimacy with you. How can we continue to build upon what we have already established with you, too? And take it deeper, Lord. Because as long as we are on this earth, as long as we bear your image, as long as we bear the name of Christian, uh, I mean, Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord, we can grow deeper and deeper with you because it is a well that never ends, God. You are a fount that never runs dry. Lord, you um, are just a well of, of life and living water. 
So, Lord, let us continue to just chase after you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.